Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, Costa Rica and Barbados. Hitting some islands. One election that already happened, one election that is going to happen in a little bit. Do you want to just jump right into these elections, Kaylee? We got two plus news and stuff, so I feel like there's a lot to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be busy. Small countries, but still lots to cover. Do you want to do Barbados first? Do you want to go alphabetical order, or do you want to go in, I guess, chronological order would also be Barbados first. Do you want to go what's going to happen, what's not going to happen, and with a good prediction of stuff that already happened? Yeah, I think, uh, well, we should sync the predictions on Barbados in terms of who won since it already happened. (laughs) Um, But I think if if alphabetically and chronologically it says Barbados, I think all science point, let's start with Barbados. Okay. Um, So, uh, yeah, so we kind of, Barbados happened... um, on January 19th, it was a snap election, so they weren't actually supposed to go to the polls until January 23rd, or January uh, January 2023, sorry, not January 23rd. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess if you might have heard about Barbados in the news a bit lately, uh, the the prime minister who she, she was, spoiler alert, she was re-elected, but she was the prime minister before, uh, Mia Motley, uh, she... Uh, was really prominent. She gave one of the more um, empower, uh, more powerful speeches at COP this uh, this last fall, um, and also Barbados uh, officially became a republic and has uh, severed all ties. Um, it was formerly a British colony, but they mm. have now completely severed from that. And so, right. part of the reason for the election was in combination of like lots of decisions having been made. Um, with COVID, uh, as well an exercise of democracy in response to officially becoming um, a full full republic. They'd had their own democracy and everything. The queen wasn't involved at all, but they've officially severed. So, yeah. This election was, there was not a big run up to it, right? But mm-hmm. also there seems like there's not a long cool down after it because like often we'll talk about Germany or we'll talk about some coalition forming place. Um Every it was a clean sweep for me, yeah. Um, yeah, and it wasn't even close. Like it wasn't no, like all of these, all of these ridings are like huge landslide victory, like crushing victories um, mm-hmm. from me and Molly. Is this so? Typically, when we see results like this, um, we don't even see results like this. We'll see results that are like ooh, sixty five percent. That seems mm-hmm. a little bit sketchy. Um, why is that not the case here with a just complete, I mean, like, no, like even Putin isn't bold enough to say that he won 100% of the seats, right? Yeah. Uh, what, so uh, what, what's well, the deal in Barbados? I, I don't know if it's as questionable. I, I think drawing the comparison between Putin might be a bit um, harsh on, on, I think, what is genuinely a fair bit of popularity for Motley, mm-hmm. um, and a, a sense that generally they are re- leading the country in the right direction. There, so there are 30 seats, and they won all 30 of them. So, mm-hmm. but initially, like, so the opposition leaders did criticize for holding such a quick election, um, and, and while some people were infected with COVID and couldn't leave home, um, so something like, uh, and, and something like, it had slightly lower turnout than previously. Like you, I was looking at the participation numbers. Usually, it's it's floating in the sixties, um, and this time it was around fifty percent participated. Um, 
in in the sweep. So there was a little bit of a lower turnout. But I, it should be noted that before uh, Motley uh, called the election, she also held 29 of the 30 seats. So she yeah. didn't actually make a significant gain. She just now holds all of them. So there was pretty universal popularity previously. So... Also, right, the population of Barbados is only, is under three hundred thousand people. So yes, um, I think in a especially like a pretty small group of people, there can be a lot of um, unanimous <laughs> uh, voices. Yeah. Like in sub regions of other countries, like California or Alberta, mm-hmm. um, with larger, much larger populations than three hundred thousand, you'll often see uh, basically complete sweeps. At least, yeah. but. I mean, typically that's at like a national scale when those subregions are not the whole entire place that at like a provincial or a state level election, those things will split more. So it's kind of interesting to see that that isn't happening here. Um, yeah. Is there any like big switch that happened? Because back in 2013, um, mm-hmm. there was a pretty even split between these two front running parties in Barbados. And since then, um, after Mia Motley has been in charge, um, it's been these uh, real landslide wins um was there anything that precipitated that change um i i think that it it shouldn't i guess it shouldn't necessarily be underestimated how popular motley is in terms of and to have such an international influence and and the role that that can play in, in sort of a smaller population so she's been pretty popular um and so i think it's it it, it could possibly be down to that. She also has a focus on like some really important issues for them um, is, is, uh, and is heading into those with quite a positive approach. It'll be interesting to see, I think what happens if she succeeds or does not succeed on, on these elements in terms of her continued popularity. Cause there's no, the, the, the challenge I think that sometimes uh, people don't realize once you sweep is that there's no excuse for you to have not done a very good job after mm-hmm. that, because there's mm-hmm. no one standing in your way. So if you haven't done it, then what, what was, what more could you have had? Um, but yeah, I think, I think um, the, I, I don't know if the, the specifics of what happened in 2013, um, but I would say that in this particular election, she is still very popular um, and, and she's led a country that is uh, on a, a real high, having just sort of uh, become a republic um, that, 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 that she it is a party that is and 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 also in the region like she is this win makes her probably the most prominent uh caribbean leader uh and and they're of, of of the caribbean countries and probably the the sort of one who will be looked to to lead and represent the region um going forward and she has done done well up till now doing so 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 she she is uh well earned in her popularity uh perhaps more than the party itself maybe so if we're staying kind of in the region that's barbados barbados is very quick barbados already happened um but cool election that the the blp won all of the seats um Mm -hmm. interesting outcome um but moving to an election that hasn't happened yet uh that yeah. there might be a little bit more to say because um there will be a contest <laughs> uh <laughs> is the uh Costa Rica election coming up um for the president then the two vice presidents along with the president as well as all 57 members of the unicameral legislative assembly mm-hmm. uh so if you don't mind Kaylee I'd start off with some Costa Rica facts yeah, so uh, you'll start off with Costa Rica facts. Yeah, unless you have one that yeah. you want to share as well. No, I don't have. You're you're better at this. You got. 
<laughs> Costa Rica, a country, Costa Rica. a country of five million people, mm-hmm. bordered by Panama and Nicaragua. Um, and interestingly, this is not something I expected. I guess I just didn't know anything about Costa Rica going into this. But Costa Rica <laughs> has one of the highest levels of press freedom in the world. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't higher know higher press freedom than Canada, USA, UK, France, Spain, Italy, like. A lot of, you know, generally free countries you would imagine um, yeah. don't have as high press freedom as Costa Rica. Number seven in the world for press freedom, while only top 40 in the world for uh, democracy. Interesting. So journalists running free, but uh, democracy, it's, you know, working on it. Yeah. One of the uh, top current um, candidates for uh, president is actually also mm-hmm. married to a journalist. Uh, and another one has an undergraduate degree in journalism. So there's just, <laughs> it's just run by journos there, I guess. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah. So I, I think there's an, an, an interesting, but maybe slightly less positive fact is that, uh, about Costa Rica is that they also have like, uh, it takes the Costa Rican legislature on average three years to pass any legislation, making it one of the slowest um, in OECD country um in in in, to to in passing anything so they're not very they're not getting a lot of policy through but it is very well covered um by journalists um and i guess it yeah it's because they can filibuster anyone can filibuster any bill basically for ages apparently (laughs) on a page that i was reading about about um Costa Rica, one of the things that the U.S. government said about them in 2016 about like the issues facing um, American businesses and the United States from forging stronger ties with Costa Rica were that there's issues around some of like ports and railways and stuff that need upgrading, um, Mm -hmm. but also that the bureaucracy is often, quote, slow and cumbersome. Mm -hmm. And I saw that and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm not I'm not entirely sure where that comes from given that the United States uh, bureaucracy is not exactly what would be fast and agile would be the opposite of that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, seeing that it takes on average three years, that's uh, that I guess. uh, Yeah, I would say that's slow and cumbersome, but maybe the way that democracy is supposed to work. Well, it means that uh, I think that the, the, the fact that this was attributed to was the, the challenge in, in getting reforms in to improve their democracy also is taking ages like the, to, to improve the process of elections and democracies. Mm. So so maybe maybe it should take a long time, but also, uh, you know, you want to be able to function and, and get things done. Um, well, for sure. People often say that an issue with democracy is that you're going to do something and then the next guy who comes in can change it, right? And mm-hmm. that in is also Costa Rica, <laughs> every single president, you cannot run again. You cannot have no. two consecutive terms. You can run again yeah. later, um, such as Jose Maria Figueres Olson, who's the leader of the National Liberation Party, who is mm-hmm. currently polling the highest out of any of the candidates. Um, and he was a president from 1994 to 1998. Um, so so he's he was, back. Yeah. So he was the president, you know, 25 years ago. Uh, and now he's going to be, he's running for president again. He's the number one uh, candidate. And the current president, Carlos Alvarado Quesada, um, mm-hmm. his party is not even polling well at all. Um, yeah, so there seems to be this like unpopular. huge shift that's going to happen uh, in Costa Rica. Not to jump into the polls and the results and the potentials that are going to happen um 
but there just seems to be this like huge shift, especially com- like in contrast with uh, Barbados, which kind of has these mm-hmm. like two parties that have kind of gone back and forth. And for the last number of years now, we have this like very strong dedication to one party. Um, just can't happen in Costa Rica. Yeah. And I think that it, it too, I mean, not, they're certainly never going to be direct comparisons, but I think they're both at, the two countries are at different stages. Like we definitely see with, with, um, with the pri- the two primary parties uh, in, in Costa Rica or traditional parties of power have sort of begun to progressively, they're, they're losing their luster. People are not as into them. And so this is actually one of the biggest fields. There's about 25 different people running for president at the moment. There's really only four or so that are, are realistically going to get over the threshold <coughs> to, to really make a shot at it. Um, but ultimately, I think we're, what we're seeing is it is the there's traditional parties who are trying to who are holding on to some of their their traditional audience um but it's shifting away they're starting to lose their luster there were some uh scandals that occurred uh in in the current government and and the the dominant parties um and so they're they're shifting out of out of being popular and and new parties are starting to come in um, but it's unclear necessarily who those new parties are going to be exactly in terms of who will take over that mantle. Um, and I think that that's sort of the transition we're seeing. Whereas, whereas in Barbados, we're seeing a party that is very much, it's the popular party, it's dominating and, and it's hard to get in. Um, definitely different, different stages. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's, um, I think also to add to that, like no, so they're also electing, uh, their House of Representatives, um, and none of the, like, 57 representatives, none of them can be elected consecutively either. So it every t- I think maybe that is a good practice in terms of the health of your democracy, but I think you also do struggle to get uh, consistency, and I think a big issue is in Costa Rica's election that elections that keeps coming up is that it's hard to poll there because a huge number of voters remain indecisive up until the last minute. Um, and that might be because every time they're always going to be getting to know new people, regardless of, of whether you're voting for the same party again mm-hmm. or not. There's no like sure thing seats where this has been the same guy since you were born and yeah. <laughs> no matter what you do is going to win. Um, and there's also a, a broad spectrum of parties that are in the mm-hmm. legislative assembly as well as running for president. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are, I think, currently seven parties represented uh, in parliament um, for only 57 seats. So yeah. that's quite that's a, a I mean, with with each seat representing, you know, almost two percent of the vote um, mm-hmm. to have seven different parties in there. That's a lot for each seat. Um and also there's like five presidential candidates that are currently polling over 7%. And if you don't get more than 40% of the vote, then it goes to a, a secondary election runoff between the top two presidential candidates. But like, there's just so much movement, like the current president, right? His party has only the third number of seats in the legislative assembly. Um, mm-hmm. And what, so could you talk a little bit about that or also give maybe the idea give give some insight into the state of like coalition forming in costa rica because it doesn't seem like there's coalitions formed necessarily between these parties given that it's also like a presidential unicameral yeah. system i mean i so in in my there's not a lot in terms of not a lot of conversation of it in in the literature around the this current election and, and previous elections um there there is sort of a 
a bit of uniformity in terms of the the political spectrum in in Costa Rica. I think you can see that in the dominant candidates as well. It's it's sort of center right uh, is are are sort of the dominant uh, candidates at the moment, and and the historically dominant parties of the PLN um, and the I think the the uh, Social Christian Unity Party. Um, which is uh, PUSC, uh, and 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 they've maybe been able to work together better, given their perspectives are not wholly different. They're they're sort of yes, center uh, left to center right. So it's very a combination of that, um, and and depending on the leader that was in place for either party, you could see variations of somewhere in the center. So there is that ability to cooperate. But now that, again, as you're saying, that they're losing their sort of hold as traditional parties, um, there's there's certainly questioning of them. And and, and particularly, um, which is something I think we'll talk about a bit at the end about maybe what is happening in, in Central America and South America that we'll want to watch this year. Uh, but the, the uh, COVID and, and, uh, uh, and the financial position of Costa Rica has really revealed wealth disparities and displeasure and, and, and uh, uh, social unrest and, and uh, uh, dislike of the way that things have been run by these sort of centrist parties uh, and that have have allowed such wealth gaps to occur uh, that there it's unpredictable I guess to a certain extent where the vote is going to go and that and again I think we're seeing similarly when I was saying you know there's trying to fill this power gap that is is emerging there isn't a decision about exactly where to go with that so there is you're seeing some farther right and you're seeing some farther left candidates get in there um, and whether or not it'll moderate towards the center more as, as we go, we'll sort of, we'll have to see, I guess, as, as the election happens. Yeah. Which is kind of similar to what I think maybe in a, in a, in a less intense way, similar to what we've seen in Chile, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With those, with that unrest, I think, um, the situation in Chile and the situation in Costa Rica are very different. I think they're very different, <laughs> um, political climates and the way that they go about things. Um, but kind of the same ideas uh, coming forward. Um, so did you want to talk a little bit about any of the uh, particular candidates um, and kind of what their main um, ideas behind them have been or kind of some interesting things about them going forward? Yeah, so I guess there are some there's four sort of candidates dominating at, at the moment. I think it, it, an important factor in the previous election, the one, the thing that uh, the the previous election became about at the time i believe costa rica the 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 courts had just officially said that uh, same sex marriage would was uh, they were it would be legal it had to be legal from a human rights perspective and so that the previous election really came down to that and and in some reason in some ways that's how um the previous president it's not entirely, but it was certainly a big factor in how the previous president was able to get in. Um, and so probably the, the third place candidate right now is a candidate who in the previous election really rose up to be hit the, the, the last president's opposition, Alvarado, uh, former evangelical Christian singer, um, and, and, and really took a surprising uh, amount of success in the 2018 presidential election. He's probably only in third now. Um, it's, 
I don't think anybody really thinks that he will win, but he's certainly um, uh, on the, he's the far right, probably representation uh, of, of a largely center right uh, field of candidates. Um, and, but he, again, it, the, the question of, of same sex marriage is not really on the table anymore. So he's having a bit of a hard time getting in. And, and there's some sort of question if there's a real ceiling to the success that he can have. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, I mean, probably, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Figueres is the former, uh, formerly a president and has a famous father who was also formerly a president. Um, and he's trying to, he's probably in first place, uh, but he does have, as you we were saying, sort of a, he'll have a difficult time if he, if he should manage to win because the, the PLN in itself, which is, again, a party that's lost favor with the general public, but is also pretty divided internally. Um, and, and Figueres is really riding on his, his name and his not, I mean, he has ideas and he, he, he's uh, qualified to be a candidate, but his name recognition is really valuable to him. Mm -hmm. Um, but he'll have to be able to unite the party in order to really govern effectively, I think. Um, and then sort of this, the, the other two, I think that I, you would really point to as, as being potentials, but, um, are, uh, Saborio, um, she's in the sort of Christian right party. She'd be probably the, uh, it'd probably be Figueres is the closest to the center, is to the center, and then Saborio, and then Alverredo. Um, but she is, uh, she has a lot of, she's not, she's tied with, again, like Figueres, tied with these parties, these sort of traditional parties, but was outside of the corruption of them. Um, and so should hope, so should be able to, um, compete quite well, uh, probably looking at her and, and Figueres as, as one and two for the, what will probably be a runoff election. Um, and then there is sort of, I think, uh, Villata the, is the sort of the youngest, the farthest left, the alternative candidate, um, for sure. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he does. Uh, I think, again, there are, as you said, there are, there, I think that there are actually a fair number of comparisons between, uh, Chile and Costa Rica to be made. Mm. Um, Costa Rica is at a different, uh, point in, in, in that progress. Um, and I don't know that, any anything I'm reading really suggests that uh, Valatel will be able to have as much success as as sort of the far left candidate in Chile that had uh, and in in winning the election. But he does sort of offer a similar he he's offering a similar um, option uh, to Costa Ricans, um, and I think uh, he's also very outside of the corruption in the sense of uh, uh, disdain over the current uh, leadership. I guess. Mm-hmm. And the party that he leads also, uh, Vialta leads the broad front, um, which mm-hmm. uh, in the last election only had one seat in the legislative as- uh, assembly, um, but he's now polling at a president for president. But um, similarly, uh, he's polling at seven and a half percent. So pretty much doubled if if he finished right now, pretty much double uh, the vote share since the last since the last election. Also, Vialta is married to a journalist. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> Um, so some, some questions that I have about some of these candidates is that, uh, Jose Maria Figueres Olson, right. Who's the previous Mm -hmm. president also attended, um, West Point in the United States and got an army ranger tab afterwards. Mm. Do you know of any, um, other presidents who have been trained in the militaries of 
other countries i don't know this this seemed like very out of the ordinary to me when i was looking into his biography yeah that that is interesting i think I'm, i can't think of anybody uh but i think a lot of the time when you see a lot of um uh like a lot of the time the candidates in africa and and central and south america i think a lot of the time you see candidates who have went to school in the u.s so it wouldn't be entirely but west point does seem uh or that does seem interesting mm-hmm. um i guess i don't know the ins the ins and outs of that it must be fine he's been president before and in theory had to, had to go through that process but no yeah. that is kind of strange he al- he also attended harvard university and i think richard branson named him what was it Richard Branson named him the new president of the Carbon War Room in 2012. Oh, interesting. um, Because he's uh, part of this Carbon War Room organization about low-carbon economies, uh, Mm -hmm. and Richard Branson is involved with that and named him. So it seems like he's done a lot on um, agriculture and environmentalism in the past as well. Like he was minister for agriculture previously, um, before he was president so this is like back in the 80s um, and has also been director of the world economic forum um, mm-hmm. and is also like a a uh, successful businessman and everything um, so the i always find it so interesting like the different backgrounds of different candidates uh for for leaders um mm-hmm. given that like our other guy uh the leader of the new party the new republic party um alvarado Mm -hmm. who in 2018 opposed same-sex marriage was like also like previously a singer versus Mm -hmm. like the guy who went to like the american military academy (laughs) it's just like (laughs) uh but but it turns out that the guy that went to the american military academy is like more center maybe center left into like environmentalism and the guy Mm -hmm. who was the singer is the right-wing guy who is like not exactly who like the way that you would paint those two stereotypes but yeah, this he seems like an interesting character, Jose. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, he sound he does sound interesting. I think it is interesting also to consider the the big gap that he has in his his previous presidential experience mm-hmm. and what he what that means. Um, but yeah, it, it I think the I think Costa Rica is an interesting country in that environmentalism seems there seem to be very few candidates that are particularly going to oppose a lot of the initiatives that they have taken in regards to environmentalism. Um, and I think similar to Barbados, like they are both countries that are very, it, it is an immediate concern to the future and well-being of their country that uh, the issues of rising sea level and climate change, other issues relating to climate change. Um, so that, that even, you know, center right to, to far right there, there are definitely differences. There are certainly choices that uh, the far right are the farther the farther right parties um, in this election would make that are not nearly as environmentally friendly. But there's no one who is offering um, a completely like a climate denial approach to mm-hmm. to it that you would see in, in maybe other countries. Um, it's more of a question of and and I think that this is also interesting is like the uh, the challenge of of having this uh, taking of what is ultimately like a pretty neoliberal approach to 
um, environmental challenges. Um, so not necessarily having the social infrastructure that matches to support the, the, this, the population, um, in, in, in the transition to these, these things. And that ultimately, uh, Costa Rica is, is dealing like the primary election concerns, uh, while environmental issues and, and like, uh, green energy, accessibility to green energy are big, big points. Um, ultimately like, uh, the unemployment rate and, uh, uh, debt ratio are huge, uh, issues for Costa Rica at the moment. They like, they took 1.8, a $1.8 billion loan from the IMF in July. And it's sort of, I think we might see as a similar narrative. We saw it in a bit in Chile, but, and I think you can remember back to Europe in, uh, in Greece is like in accepting this loan, it required significant austerity cuts, and that is starting to lead to uh, a, a really fine line of of of, of revolts uh, by public workers. In there was there were revolts in October 2020, mm-hmm. and many people sort of are pointing to a real concern given the the rise in inflation and and uh, unemployment rates in the in the region in that. Uh, the, this, there is going to be, there are going to be people who are hurt and it is not necessarily the people who have money. It is the lower income populations that are sort of being left out of, left out of the process of, of advancing the, the country. Just a, an interesting point to finish on before we move on from Costa Rica, uh, is that there's been many calls to increase the total number of representatives in the legislative assembly. Um, given that there's only 57 people, which, and because it's proportional representation, that's like 1.7% or something of the vote goes to each person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you end up with uh, some parties getting totally left off, or it's just like it, the, the granularity of it is not very good, especially given that there's like seven parties represented. Um and so you get these like weird disparities between parties uh, mm-hmm. and even like the University of Costa Rica um, recommended to increase it to 82 legislators. Northwestern University here says that um, they uh, suggested increasing it to 115 um, mm-hmm. to keep the population the same because the 57 is actually in the Constitution, which is kind of um, unlike uh, many other countries so to actually change yeah. that it's difficult right um but i guess in actually in costa rica it's super unpopular to increase this number from 57 yeah and also unpopular because it would uh increase like the total like expenditure and salaries for legislators and just like cost so much more money um so just an interesting part because especially when we talk about um inequality and stuff right so the to tackle inequality it's often useful to have more voices at the table and allow these allow more smaller parties to get into these legislate these legislative assemblies but in this case it seems like given that it's um proportional representation and um there are some of these like small there are a lot of the uh, political spectrum being represented it's kind of interesting to have that same issue with oh we still don't have enough representation to try to tackle this, even though it seems like it kind of is working, but it's still a huge issue. I know I just thought it was an interesting, um, weird aspect of the uh, electoral system, especially, <laughs> especially given that, I mean, there's so few seats, so maybe because people can't get reelected, it makes sense to have so few. Um, yeah. 
because if you have like 150 seats, then every year you're going through, you know, way more of the people who actually want to run. <laughs> so it would be difficult. Um, but that would be interesting. Um, so that is the Costa Rican election that's coming up February 6th, 2022. Uh, so keep an eye on that. I think the results should come in pretty quick. Um, but then there's going to be that second run round runoff. Yeah. Almost guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. They're almost guaranteed be a second, uh, a second election. And that is scheduled for early April, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but I think we'll spend, we're, I, I was talking to you about before, but like just in reading about the Costa Rican election, like I think we might end up in uh, Central and South America a fair bit uh, this year with a number of really big elections coming up there in that region, part of the world. Okay. So watch this space. So moving on from elections, this episode, Kaylee, mm-hmm. what is the Secretary General up to? He is saying, you know, um, uh, you know, free, free uh, hear the children. We must listen to the children. Um, uh, okay. That that was. I mean, he did a lot of things, but this thing was um, uh, a happier thing, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it was. I, I want. I wanted to talk about this thing. Uh, so he was saying, young me, uh, young people must have a seat at the table in peace efforts. Um, this was at a conference that the UN was was holding um, a high-level global conference on youth-inclusive peace processes, um, highlighting that in a number of situations, young peace builders, especially women, uh, report that their participation is not welcomed by the public or those in positions of power, but often is, uh, is, is very invaluable to the process of success. Um, and that we need to ensure, he said, we need to ensure that young people have a seat at the table, forging inclusive solutions that combine peace, security, and sustainable development and human rights. Um, so the, and also I, I think that the youth, uh, the, that the UN is, uh, at that they announced, he announced that they're going to, uh, they're launching youth in politics tools. So they'll now be tracking, um, the opening of political spaces in countries around the world that the younger uh, for the younger generation, uh, with uh, youth and politics index, uh, in the, in the hopes of of sort of encouraging countries to do that, um, and also he he really pray he 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 really pointed out that on a number of really big issues, we've seen young people coming to the forefront, um, in uh, particularly in the COVID nineteen pandemic, uh, climate change and conflicts and discrimination uh, rising conflicts and discrimination. And I, yeah, so and, and I think he's pointing to something that maybe we, we've we've all noticed. I think it's certainly in the climate change movement, there's a very young voice, a lot of young voices leading that. Um, and and sometimes in peace building processes uh, that you look at around the world, um, young people are are the key voices in that process, but not necessarily um, taken so seriously. Um, but as sort of potential agents of change uh, that. that measuring that and understanding how that works and then also providing space for it uh, could be a really valuable uh, tool in the in in the future so I think that was kind of an interesting uh, thing that the, that he is encouraging but also that the UN is is trying to find a way to uh, measure practically the age to become a member of the legislative assembly in Costa Rica is only 21 years old which seems kind of young 
That um, is pretty young. But I guess that's what Antonio would be happy with. <laughs> yeah. And they also have to elect so many different people. So <laughs> Yeah. That's interesting. That's, a, I guess, a good um, idea from Antonio. It seems like, I don't know, hasn't this been an issue for the, basically all of human history? <laughs> we don't listen to the children or what are children's uh, rights to participate i guess yeah yeah no i think so i think yeah it's just i think um yeah you find in certain conflict situations sometimes you know um at at the end of of a major conflict children are are really maybe the only ones that are not as uh touched or deeply entangled in it and so they can become quite involved in in those peace building processes Mm -hmm. um and the scenes seen as as sort of keys to success in terms of bridging those situations but i i think i mean i think if you look at uh, the black lives matter movement in the u.s or uh uh, greta thunberg with uh in 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 her work uh with school strikes uh and stuff like you do see that uh some of the more uh, pioneering work in in these areas of the big major issues has have been being led by young people. So if it if it's a tool that uh, is working, it's I think to Gutierrez's and the UN's advantage to to actively try and promote it. I guess it makes sense that there's just young people will have different ideas too, right? More radical ideas, more open to change um, because they haven't been necessarily just jaded by these different problems. <laughs> yeah. Not, you know, not like you and I, two very haggard PhD students. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I'm totally on board, Antonio. Listen to the children. Yep. Let's do it. Um, so Space News this week mm-hmm. is also about listening to the children. Oh, really? Yeah. Like alien children? No. Well, human children that are okay. actually less alien than you would imagine. So. Okay. This week, we're talking about early concepts of intimacy in space news. So less space news, more social psychology, (laughs) (laughs) but still science, still science. Wow. It was a twist. I didn't think we were going that way. Okay. Um, Okay. So, so I've always found it weird. (laughs) And I think if you think about it, it is weird that like people kiss each other on the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) that this is just like an accepted thing that everybody does but like when you just think about it it's like why that like that's kind of a weird thing um Mm -hmm. but it turns out that babies totally don't think it's weird and think it's super important um interesting yeah so this paper uh came out three days ago in science um Mm -hmm. the journal science uh called early concepts of intimacy young humans use saliva sharing to infer close relationships <laughs> wow so in, so in this pandemic world this feels like a while right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um no i mean it's even important in the pandemic world right because like it has i guess in the pandemic it it expands beyond just like who you share utensils with or who you kiss on the mouth it's also like whose air you choose to also um share with each other uh okay but so these like very young babies this is super weird to me that they can tell this um Mm -hmm. so with like with children who are like um just like young children who are not like toddlers or infants who we'll talk about a little bit later um but with children, if you show them like a, a, a storybook of mm-hmm. like a person and they're like, this is a girl, she's drinking a juice box with a straw. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then on the next page, you say like, this is the girl's sister, this cartoon character, and this is the girl's friend. Who do you think 
that she will share her juice box with that you have to drink with a straw. And Mm -hmm. the children on like 75% of the time will say that she's going to share it with her sister and not her friend. But if you have food that can be divided instead of like a straw, so you have to share saliva for the first one. If it's food that can be divided, like just like grapes or something, it's Mm -hmm. like 60, 40 instead of 75% saying that it's going to be with her family. So it's like, if you don't have to share saliva, way more children are way more willing to say that she's going to share it with her friend instead of her family member. Um, And if it's not food at all, if it's a toy that can be divided, um, so if it's like Lego blocks or something and giving half to somebody, 50-50, friend, sister. And if it's a toy that can't be divided, so like some like yo-yo or something, right, that you have to play mm-hmm. with each, um, same thing, 50-50. So like specifically saliva sharing in this context is really important for kids to determine <laughs> the difference between familiar relationships and friendly relationships. But huh. it goes further than that. Um with both toddlers and infants. So toddlers being like eight, I think the average was like um, 18 and a half months, 16 and a half to 18 and a half months old and infants mm-hmm. who are eight and a half to 10 months old. So these are like very young human beings, right? Yeah. Um, and they did a thing with, uh, so they looked at food sharing and ball passing. So like the, they would have one woman, she would eat like a bite of an apple and then put the apple in um, like a puppet's mouth. And then mm-hmm. put the apple back in her mouth. And then they had a, a different woman take a ball, hand it to a puppet, and then take the ball back. And then they had the puppets make crying noises. And so oh. typically <laughs> babies will then look at the, like this has been shown in monkeys before, that like the the baby monkey will look at like the, the thing that's in distress and then look at that thing's mother. And like in infants and toddlers like 75 to 90 percent of the people that the babies or that the little kid looks at is the woman who put the apple in her mouth and the baby's mouth or in the 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 puppet's mouth and not the woman who passed the ball back and forth so it's like a green apple going back and forth between mouths versus a green ball the people are like oh the person who put that in their mouth is definitely its mom um and then if they if afterwards they do like a control experiment where the two women play peekaboo with the baby mm-hmm. um, on like a screen and the baby looks at both of them equally like they don't oh, okay. have just like a yeah. natural preference. So it seems totally to be about like actually the food. Right. Ugh. So they take it one step further and they do basically the same thing. But they have one woman and she either touches her forehead with her finger and then a puppet's forehead and then her forehead or takes her finger, puts it in her mouth and swirls it around, puts it in a puppet's mouth and then puts it back in her own mouth, right? And these two puppets are different colors. And then they have her make crying noises like she's in distress. And the little babies, the toddlers and the infants, both are way more likely to look at the puppet that she put her finger in her mouth and touched the puppet versus Mm -hmm. putting her finger on her forehead and touching the puppet so it's like just like actually just moving saliva between your body and another thing makes infants and toddlers think that you are related to them or in some way have (laughs) a closer relationship what a fascinating evolutionary development yeah super duper weird right Like, if you're trying to explain it to an alien, that would be confusing. It would have been... Yeah, it's like, oh, you're spitting in that thing's mouth? That means that you are 
valuable family. to them like you care about them <laughs> your family right yeah it's like that's yeah, how close yeah. the relationship is anyway and then yeah there's like just some more information in here about saliva sharing interactions is what the authors call them which is like sharing <laughs> utensils and stuff yeah. um so not even like kissing each other on the mouth but just like no, doing just... like sharing a drink or or something yeah. like that um and how there's this like weird boundary between like your family and your friends and i think what i found interesting about this is like the level to which like your friendships are potentially very close is like there are definitely like i think people listening to this or you will also think like there are even like members of your own family that you would be willing to be like oh i would like if they were eating ice cream with a spoon and then they gave me a like a bite of it i would eat it off that spoon or i would not eat it off that spoon. yeah yeah <laughs> and i have friends who all correlate within that too and it's like that's an interesting way to think about family and closeness based on who you would share a spoon with yeah and the level of intimacy you're communicating to a baby when you yeah 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 this like (laughs) weird totally different thing that so it's like it's just so amazing to me that it just it's also terrifying to be like a parent i think where it's like yeah all of these different pieces of information that you're conveying to this like baby who's just learning constantly and it's like Mm -hmm. if you share a if you share something with like a fork with somebody that kid's going to be confused and think it's like, that's his dad instead of that's his dad, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know. It seems terrifying. It seems so difficult. Um, But I guess they can learn to overcome. Something to add to your concerns. I guess if any of our listeners are new parents. (laughs) Yeah. You're always asking me, Kayla, it's like, Oh, I was like, what danger does this space news pose? Like, Oh, a black hole or a new star or something no none of that's dangerous it's who you share a fork with yeah um it's personal space that we need to be talking about it is anyway that's this episode of probably about politics (laughs) (laughs) Um, a landslide victory in barbados an interesting upcoming election in costa rica a future to look forward to where we talk a lot about central and south american elections um listening to the youth and being kind of worried about what we're showing the youth uh, with yeah. our actions um, if you yeah. want to tell us what you thought about any of this stuff uh, send us an email at probpolitics at gmail.com or follow us on twitter at probpolitics or on instagram under the same name um, sign up to the newsletter at any of those places by sending us a message uh, and thank you for listening to probably with politics we love you all but maybe not enough to share saliva oh <laughs>